Welcome to Grantmaker Coffee Talks, a podcast for grantmakers to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, you'll hear more feedback from grantmakers about how they're responding to the COVID-19 crisis. This discussion comes from a webinar that was recorded on April 2nd, and the discussion topics were the unexpected needs that have emerged from the crisis, the different ways that funders are supporting grantees, and what the future of grant making looks like. All right, let's listen in on that discussion. The first voice we are going to hear is Aaron Spevacek, who was the webinar moderator, followed by Ethan Finkelstein from Comic Relief US. All right, so let's focus first on unexpected needs. What needs are you seeing that you might not have expected? And what needs are you hearing about from grantees that haven't hit the news yet? Again, what are we as funders looking for? What do we know about? What can we learn from our grantees? I am uh, Ethan. I'm from Comic Relief US. Um, uh, so we fund uh, organizations that support um, children from low-income families. And um, so one thing that we've heard um, is from an organization called Covenant House, which has homeless shelters for youth across the country and in Canada and in Latin America, um, is that they have, they're having to change some of their operations to actually quarantine and isolate some of the um, children that they normally serve. And so that was um, kind of something that I wasn't expecting to hear that, that this organization, which is normally, you know, a homeless um, shelter is now becoming a, um, in some ways, kind of a medical facility or becoming um, an isolation facility. So that's a kind of a huge pivot, something that they didn't have any experience doing um, and weren't necessarily prepared to do. Um, and, um, you know, another one of our grantees is Feeding America. So learning about how the whole kind of food chain, um, especially for food banks is being impacted because there's a run on grocery stores from, you know, everyday people buying, buying more and more food at grocery stores. That means that there's less surplus that normally goes to food banks. So they're having to buy a lot more food, um, receive their donations are way, way, way down. And they're competing against a lot of people um, who, are, who are buying up a lot of food right now. So um, that was kind of another um, piece that, um, you know, I was unaware of how it was going to negatively impact um, uh, the food supply for, uh, for, for food pantries and uh, food banks. Thanks, Ethan. Um, nice to talk to you again. Um, the, the, the one thing that I'll say we've heard consistently at Foundant is that there are some real regional differences, too, in the availability of food and different products. So that's something that I think as funders we can certainly tune into, not just, you know, that there is this supply chain that goes to food banks, that there are organizations providing housing that have to kind of change the way they're doing things pretty fundamentally, but also that it may vary from region to region or locality to locality. Good morning. I am with the Steele Reese Foundation. We fund in rural communities in Idaho and Montana. And what I have been hearing as I call our current grantees and applicants who are preparing applications during this stressful time, who are working in the domestic violence space, is an increase in domestic violence at the same time that they are also being affected by uh, the various 
constrictions that we have from the um, pandemic. So for instance, um, people are having to uh, quarantine or um, self-isolate with their abusers. They can't uh, get uh, to make phone calls uh, to seek support because their abuser is there. And in cases where people have been able to get out, the concept of being able to travel to another family member or being able to um, be in an already overcrowded shelter is an issue. And there's also um, issues about um, using hotels as places to shelter. And I, I think that particularly in rural communities where people are more isolated, that we are not necessarily seeing the full measure of how this pandemic has been impacting uh, families that already were having uh, these kinds of difficulties. That's, a, I think, a really poignant point. And it, it, I think what we may see, and I'd be interested in hearing what everyone else has to say, is that we see a number of problems, domestic violence being probably high on the list, accentuated um, by the loss of income, the different living arrangements, transportation, availability of services. Hey, good morning. Um, so I work for the Arrowhead Regional Arts Council in Northeastern Minnesota. And what we do is we fund artists and arts organizations in a largely rural area. And the um, kind of the two needs that we're seeing um, that are not quite unexpected, but at the same time, the, the amount of need that we're seeing. Um, one from artists is that so many people have had um, shows or events canceled. And for them, that's a loss of income. So we're seeing just a general need for straight up loss of income. And then the, on the flip side of that, for our organizational applicants, we're seeing a lot of them having to cancel shows. And for, you know, like a theater troupe or an opera group or a, a symphony orchestra, um, to have to cancel a couple months worth of shows is, you know, one-sixth or one-quarter of their yearly um, performance schedule. So we're seeing a, an impact there, again, from a monetary standpoint, but also just from a, uh, an existence standpoint. You, you're not performing and giving these shows what what's kind of your, your purpose. So we're, we're running into that as, a, as an issue as well. Great. Thanks, Steve, for adding that. And I hope we'll get to, back to the arts when we come back around to how you're supporting the existing grantees. I know there was some good conversation about that the last conversation we had with grant makers. Hi, this is Lori Perkins. I'm with Osherman Family Foundation in Maryland. And the thing that we have really seen as far as immediate needs um, is the problems with the homeless shelters, which I think somebody else has already touched on, and the residential facilities. Um, there has been a real problem with trying to find alternative arrangements for the people in those shelters. Um, we have, of course, lots of empty buildings that aren't being used right now, um, city facilities and public schools and so forth, but um, we haven't been able to find anybody willing to uh, take, those, um, take those extra people so that they can spread out. And um, if someone does become ill in one of the shelters, hopefully not spread it to everyone else that's there. Local YMCA has a, a, a summer camp that they offered uh, for use to allow about 50% of one of the shelters 
to go to that site. And of course that made for some transportation issues and things like that. Um, but that collaboration between those two nonprofits um, was great. But um, there's also of course been frustration about um, the amount of time that it took to make alternative arrangements and the seeming lack of preparedness from our local governments about what might happen in situations like this. Um, we had a, ho a local hotel tell us that they would take people that had been diagnosed with the coronavirus, but they would not take people who had been tested and hadn't received their results yet, which seemed very odd to us. And then um, one of the um, one of the unexpected needs came from um, our division of social, uh, excuse me, senior services. Um, and they are very, uh, they have very strict guidelines as to what they can spend their money on. And they were getting a lot of requests from seniors who were afraid to leave their homes, uh, many of whom use adult diapers. So we actually made a fairly substantial purchase of adult diapers for our senior services division, which is not something generally on our grant making radar. Lori, thanks for sharing that. Um, take a call and then move on to the next topic. There is a lot we could, more we could talk about here. And so that's again, why at the end of the conversation, uh, we'll tell you a little bit more about the online community so we can keep the conversation going. But one uh, comment or thought on unexpected needs. Hi everyone, this is Katherine Conan. I'm with the Gianforte Family Foundation. We're based in Bozeman, Montana, and we work a lot with groups that serve vulnerable populations in Montana. Um, first, quickly, I'll second what Ethan said about food banks and what Linda said about domestic violence. And adding on to that is with the schools being closed, the need for children who are at risk, who might be in abusive or potentially abusive or neglective situations at home. That's something that's been on our radar a lot. And at this point, there doesn't seem to be a clear solution for how to help them. Whereas normally the teachers could, could report if there was an issue of abuse and now nobody's seeing them to be able to report. Um, they don't have a way to go elsewhere for a safe place. Um, even food, I think. I know that some schools are delivering food if the kids can't get there, which is really helpful. I don't know if that's the case everywhere, um, but there's that issue. And then the last thing I want to quickly mention is that a lot of our grantees that we've spoken to over the past few days have said that their needs, they don't have huge emergency needs this minute, but in a month or two, they can see things really coming to a head where their needs are going to grow even more, especially if they're helping with rent and utility assistance or of course, decreased operations and decreased fundraisers, which we all know about already. That's the perfect segue into our next topic, which <laughs> is um, support to gr current grantees. But I also will say as we wrap up the conversation about new needs, needs we didn't expect, you heard Lori say that they've made a grant that they might not otherwise have made, sort of different off for the foundation because there's this need that is new in the community. And so we could just as well segue from talking about the needs that this crisis has brought up into our next topic after current grantees, which is how your funding, uh, what's going to change with your grant making going forward. But let's um, stick to, for the moment, the new topic, which is how to support current grantees. Um, and we've heard 
one example we've heard new needs. So let's talk about what people are doing for their current grantees uh, and, and the, the problems that their current grantees are coming to them with. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Gina Freiberg. Um, I work for the Public Welfare Foundation in Washington, DC. Um, so our foundation's focus is criminal justice reform. Um, so we've actually been looking to support um, current and also possibly some new grantees for um, rapid response grants um, that focus focuses on supporting the needs of formerly incarcerated people. Um, also, you know, another small niche um, field and I'm sure, you know, many of you have seen in the news. I mean, if there's um, an outbreak in any of our state prisons, I mean, that's, that's pretty massive. Um, so I know some states like New York, um, you may have heard Rikers, they've released some inmates and in general, it's, it's challenging for inmates formerly incarcerated to tr transition back into society. Um, but I would say it's even more so now in a pandemic. Um, so we're listening to our current grantees uh, making these special um, grants for this response um, as it relates to justice reform. And as far as deadlines, um, your part two question, um, we have been pretty flexible about just extending um, reports that are due in the upcoming months and applications. And we're just being flexible and trying to work with our grantee partners as much as possible. Great, yeah, I'm Adam McClellan with Deloitte Charitable Trust in the Kansas City area. Uh, and yeah, one of the things we're doing is just proactively reaching out to all of the organizations we're currently in a granting relationship with, uh, checking in on them, seeing how they're doing. Um, we're also, our trustees um, also proactively and really encouragingly uh, give the staff the ability to um, enter into conversations with groups that we're in existing grants with if there needs to be a reappropriation of funds uh, in this interim time, uh, in this kind of indefinite next few months or however long this will go for. Um, we just recognize, especially with some of the groups that we just entered into some recent grants with in the last few months, obviously uh, this has been a game changer for them. And so certain programs that we're currently funding obviously um, will be significantly revised or potentially ended um, because of just the uh, need to, for the organization to kind of be sustainable and keep their people uh, employed during this time. And so just having those conversations proactively and then uh, kind of a small thing logistically we also made recently was um, for our 25 year history, we've always done paper checks and we've moved exclusive, we moved away from the paper system to electronic funds transfer, which for our particular organization was more of a big deal. Thanks for sharing that, Adam. And what I appreciate is that you're looking at it both from the grantees perspective, uh, looking at your internal systems and how can we make things easier um, from that, uh, you know, just from this, you know, purely how to handle connections. Um, I'm actually calling in from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, so basically we provide grants, academic grants to researchers and scientists. Um, that are looking to work in their labs to find cures for blood cancers. Um, is everyone able to hear me okay? Yeah, you're coming in great. Sorry, I was having issues earlier, so I just wanted to make sure. Um, so we've really been incorporating a lot of um, changes. Um, you know, as part of the grant process, we have progress meetings that are usually held on site. Um, we just went through a very large teleconference um, 
We were a little nervous about how that would pan out. We had over 30 people on the call um, and that actually went over really well. We were very happy. <laughs> um, you know, we're looking to help as far as providing more um, no cost extensions on grants for those individuals that are not able to get into the labs at this point in time to do their research. So we're looking to extend grants. We have been looking to delay um, the start of new application process. We are also looking, um, you know, really just to try and implement whatever changes that we can to not necessarily prematurely end grants, but in which ways that we can extend them out or if someone needs a leave of absence, providing leave of absences. Um, but we are also looking at the funding side of it and, you know, basically haven't made decisions there yet. We're still struggling with that. But, you know, I mean, the whole point of the funding is for research to continue. So if that can't continue, that is something that we're needing to analyze very closely. Hi there. Um, I'm Meg Hillman from the United Way of Southwestern Pennsylvania. We serve Pittsburgh and the surrounding five counties with health and human service needs. Um, and we've kind of done two different things when it comes to making it easier for our current grantees. Um, one of them is for our large multi-year impact fund grants. And these are, you know, grantees that we've worked with for many years. We have just told them, if you need to take whatever project funds that we have given you and use them to address basic needs for your clients, do it. Like, do it now, we'll figure it out later. Um, we're internally working on how we follow, how we track that reporting, um, but we would much rather see um, results right away. Um, and the other thing that we've done is we have a um, modest uh, capital grant, capital improvements grant that we usually offer to our uh, impact fund client, or impact fund grantees in the summer, like July, we've moved that up and said, we're going to uh, collect applications for these funds for the next week, um, only for improving your capital um, to address emergency basic needs due to COVID-19. Um, so while usually we would use it for like building repairs, um, now we're looking to get um, vehicles for our agencies that do like the food bank that need to deliver food um, and that don't have working vehicles in the scale that they need. Oh, sorry, I'm done. <laughs> oh, that's great. Gotcha. All right. Um, so let's, we will move on. Appreciate you sharing, Megan. Let's go ahead and look at now future grant making. Mine is more of a, we're not sure how we're going to do it. So um, my name is Lindsay Sauer. I'm from the Russell Family Foundation. So we're a private family foundation. So um, I, sometimes I feel like we can't react as quickly um, because we have a fairly narrow focus. Um, but some of the things that we're doing as a staff are um, going to the board and, and uh, proposing either uses unallocated funds that we have, do we wanna expand past our 5% that was previously calculated? Um, or, you know, 
or stay in that footprint. In 2008, we made the decision to spend over um, a requirement without um, concern about our endowment. So we're going to look at that again. And I think that's an important question for people to be looking at because our investments are going down as well. Um, and then thinking about um, kind of doubling down on our grantees. So if we've already made a grant this year, maybe just adding on a year two um, and doing it now versus doing it um, next year. So we're kind of looking at how we can spend more this year, but maybe have it be affected next year. Um, but it's, it's something that we're trying to like gather. So that's kind of why I'm on here and interested in hearing what other people are doing. That's it. That's right, That's Lindsay. Maybe I should have said up front that I think a lot, a lot of, people of people are, are I mean, this, 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 they're trying to figure it out. We're still early in the crisis. Your board may not have even had a chance to meet yet. So future grant making may not be exact changes you know you're going to take, but ideas and things that you're discussing, things that you want to share and get thoughts on from the group. Hello. All right. I think I'm off of you here. But yeah, so um, what I wanted to uh, throw out there, first of all, we are a community foundation in, in the Midwest and a, a moderate sized uh, area it includes urban, suburban and, and um, rural as well. But um, it appears that we've done such a good job of educating our board of trustees on a role as a long term funder and not really being reactionary and having a lot of faith in the grant procedures that we put into place. Uh, that they're a little hesitant to make any major changes. Um, and um, I, I've, I've asked some other organizations, uh, such as Peak Grant Making, for example, about the idea of doing some type of a survey that would include very specific sorts of responses to grantees and then potentially you know, other nonprofits that they might look to fund. But things like um, re uh, reducing restrictions on current grants or um, things like uh, just doing more general support grants, which we don't do at all right now. But things like that, but a, a, a range of various types of responses. And to be able to collect these responses in sort of a comprehensive way so that organizations like mine that um, uh, that are a little bit more hesitant um, because they believe in what they're doing um, can see just exactly what those what responses are being taken by our, our colleagues out there. And if it was in a sort of and, and having the individual stories that we're getting through a lot of these webinars is wonderful. Um, but having a collective uh, batch, so to speak, that you could sh that we could share with our board, I think would go a long way um, toward uh, helping put the, the magnitude of this crisis and uh, necessary responses uh, into perspective. James, it's really interesting. And I've heard, um, in, even in today's call and some of the chats, people talking about groups of funders coordinating, um, but I've not, heard, I, I've not heard that idea posed, and I think it really is, especially because so often as funders, we are somewhat isolated. We've got a mission, board that is kind of driving what we do. And as much as we're focused on this community, it can be hard to look like right. So to see the expanse and the, the breadth of what's being done, I think is interesting. Hi, everybody. I am Alicia. I am from a community foundation in Michigan. 
I just wanted to respond to the question about the um, loans. So uh, our community foundation is doing kind of a three bucket support right now. We are working collaboratively with United Way of Midland County to support um, emergency response operational grant making at this point, um, and also some individual support within our community. But in addition, we have um, carved out some impact investing funding and we're utilizing those for um, zero interest uh, loans, small business loans for our community. And um, at, that, at this point that has been um, really well received just in regards to being able to meet some unexpected, not necessarily unexpected needs, but some here and now needs. And that's it. Great, no, that's important. I'm Carolyn Wolin. I'm a trustee with the Betterment Fund, which is a private foundation in the state of Maine. Um, we have uh, done, started doing some of the things that people are talking about in terms of flexibility and, and extending grants. But my question is that in my mind is about our next upcoming grant application cycle. The applications will be due on July 15th. We're in a funny position because we had canceled our previous cycle for some administrative reasons so we've got some pent-up demand and the question is whether we go ahead with the application cycle uh, and we know that applications are an onerous thing for nonprofits to do uh, or do we concentrate on supporting our current grantees um, and you know it's a question of whether we open the door to some people we're not currently funding uh, because they've got needs that we might not be hearing about, or do we simply uh, increase the current support to our current gr grantees? And that's kind of the big question in front of us. And can I put you on the spot and ask where you're going with it? Have a gut instinct or thoughts on how to, I mean, it's, it's not a decision I think anyone wants to have to make, but I'm curious um, the, no, the answer is that I've only started thinking about it this week, pretty much. We were focused on creating the flexibility that everybody's talking about. So I don't know. I really don't know. And, and, and my guess is no magic bullets here. Um, no, no, no answers, no wrong answers, you know? <laughs> Hi, I'm with the Lancaster County Community Foundation in uh, Pennsylvania. And so, yeah, I just wanted to comment a little bit about kind of what we're doing and how we are adjusting our funding strategy here. Um, so with our general uh, grant making cycle, which is also, you know, it started early May and right now we're currently still going with that. We, we think that, um, you know, a lot of organizations, you know, they rely on that and it's a little bit of a normal. And so we're, we're still doing our general grant cycle, but we are asking organizations to try to meet the moment with some of the projects that they're doing, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, because with our grant review volunteers and, and with people in the community in the near future, you know, this, the effects of COVID, they're still going to be in, in their minds. So we're not necessarily asking people or organizations to stop thinking about all these other programs that, you know, we might still need after this is over, but we're asking, you know, if you have some innovative ideas on how you might meet the moment while, you know, still incorporating these, these um, ideas that you have, you know, to do that. 
So we're going, we're still going with our general grant process. And if there's people that might need, you know, um, a delay in their, in their, um, who might, you know, not be able to fulfill the, the de deadlines for whatever reason, because of COVID-19 and the situation, we're working on a case by case basis. Um, at the same time, we did create a separate fund called Lancaster Cares. We partnered with the United Way of Lancaster County and we we put the first you know 250 dollars into this fund and then we opened it up to the community to donate to this fund and it's basically to meet you know lancaster county's uh needs during COVID 19 and we're splitting it up into three different sections the first section being you know we're trying to fulfill the food needs um the second sec section is housing and then we are leaving it the third section of this funding that we get uh from donations to for any emerging needs. And, and that's kind of what I'm, I'm here for, to get some ideas on some emerging needs that people are seeing around the, the, count, the country. So. Alma, can I ask, with this fund and a couple funders coming together, have you thought about a timeline for it? Or is this just a sort of an initial response? We're figuring it out as we go. Right, so <laughs> it, it's definitely an initial response and we, an immediate response that we wanted to kind of, you know, Think about it and and get it out there and we are we already have some money that's pouring in so we're trying to as soon as we can get the first you know the first uh, level of funding out the first money out that we can because um there's no necessary there's no timeline <laughs> necessarily i think we're just trying to figure out what are those emerging needs you know and we're trying to funnel the money through organizations in the community who are large enough who are already already have programs in place and we're trying to expand those programs in the community um, who deal with housing who deal with food and who may deal with emerging needs so mm -hmm. i guess it's more of as soon as we can and then you know if we see more stuff coming along uh, along the way we're, we're also still you know playing with the moment and kind of seeing what happens right right that makes sense I and mean, we are still so early in this all right um, hi, I don't know if you can hear me, but um, I had actually put in a little note that said um, our, our investment committee is really considering um, setting up a line of credit. We looked into it last year and it was met with um, a lot of enthusiasm from our investment committee, but the whole board wasn't exactly all in. So I really resonated with um, the person who spoke from the United Way about getting, you know, it's, it's nice to see data from other foundations to give comfort to your board about things that others are doing. And so we did that and found quite a few foundations who use a line of credit and may not use it, but have it available. Um, I think Lindsay also commented that they have a loan option available. So we are looking to set that up and we may or may not use it, but our investment committee really doesn't want to sell equities um, at the low in order to make grants. So, you know, competing interests within our foundation about the need to fund and now's not the time to, to fund. So it's a job. Well, it, it's, it's funny because it is a competing interest, but it's also a creative solution. Sure, sure. Thanks everyone for sharing all of these ideas. I'm taking down copious notes here uh, to discuss with our executive committee. I'm with a uh, small family foundation, uh, about 20 million in assets uh, in Rochester, New York. And, um, you know, up until now, our very firm um, commitment has been to sort of fill 
an interstitial space, you know, not to be toe-to-toe with our United Way and our Community Foundation and uh, some of the the really large uh, private foundations here. Um, We, you know, we don't have the assets there, but we have we have developed an expertise in the area of housing instability and trauma responsive care. So um, significant work was done in 2018-19 to um, identify that mission, go all in on that mission, phase out discretionary grant making by the board, phase out sort of a feel good small grants program and really go all in on that mission. So, um, you know, this crisis really kind of is testing um, the resolve, I think, uh, to go in that direction. And, you know, what we, we haven't, like the other caller who talked about her family foundation, um, we can't react as quickly. We have a lot of voices at the table and getting them all together um, is, is a little bit of a job. But um, I think where I'm headed mentally and will be encouraging the board will be to uh, be more flexible, but within that um, mission focus, because those people are the people who are really going to be disproportionately affected. This is going to compound trauma. It's going to worsen um, issues of housing for uh, certain types of, of chronically homeless and, you know, couch surfers and, and other groups. So um, we have already done some flexibility. We converted all, we did convert all of our grants to operating funds. We did um, send out deadlines that are, that are later now. Um, but like the caller who said, uh, like the participant who said, you know, we want to see people meet the moment. I think that's where my head is, but, um, you know, obviously have to do a lot more work with our executive committee. Um, so that's, that's sort of where we're at. Great. And more to come. All right. So that's it for everyone from Foundant. Thank you for joining us today. Please know that we are doing what we can to adjust the way we work. We are doing what we can to adjust our services to meet new needs. We want to hear from you. If you've got a client success manager at Foundant and you have a need, feel free to reach out. But most importantly, thank you for joining and talking. Thank you for keeping the conversation going. So that was our conversation. There were so many ideas and so many new ideas because this is a new situation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundant Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 